Welcome, everybody, <laughs> to Pillars of Franchising. And today's guest uh, is Stephanie Kyle of the Skylark Agency. Welcome, Stephanie. How are you doing today? I'm great. Thanks so much for having me. You bet. And, of course, the co-host, Fred. What's your last name? I don't know. I just don't have three sons. <laughs> I've gotten to say that at a couple of events in on the uh, West Coast here within this past week, and it's funny because everybody over a certain age starts cracking up at that joke, and everyone younger, the younger is looking at me going, what the hell did he just say? Why does everyone think that's funny? So I don't have three sons. We'll just leave it at that. Welcome, Stephanie. Glad to have you on the show. I'm glad to be here. So, Stephanie, uh, I, I think uh, one, of the, one of the things that people need to know is, what do you do? Yeah, well, that's a good start, huh? I uh, mm-hmm. do digital advertising. So I've been in the digital advertising space for 11 years. I've been working in the digital advertising space within franchising for the last decade. I'm a certified franchise executive, and I spent um, – Eight years or so with a public, lar- a large public agency. I actually started when there were about 50 people, um, and then it grew to 2,700 and went public during that time. And I wore a ton of different hats, which uh, suited me well to start my own agency about four years ago. And uh, I work uh, specifically with national brands and franchises because I really like you guys. It's a fun family to be a part of. Yeah, I have to agree with you with that. We we do have fun, and uh, just out of curiosity, um, what is it that you feel has changed over the last I don't know five ten years in in the, in the way of marketing and advertising, especially in the digital field? Oh man! Um, in the last ten years, like everything, I used to call people everything. and they're like, uh, "Have you not seen me on the cover of the phone book?" Like, I'm all set, <laughs> and that was the conversation. And Google, like, barely had any ads on it, and you couldn't even sell pay-per-click ads when they didn't have real estate on the page, which was kind of interesting. Like, if there weren't already ads, they may not even be servicing this or that. Um, and mm-hmm. now, you know, there's like not anything you, you cannot bid on. Um, in addition, they have unlimited amounts of keywords you can put in there, which is a good and a bad thing for some people who get a little carried away with uh, with their keyword bidding. But it used to be limited. Mm-hmm. And that's that's changed dramatically as well, hasn't hasn't it? Yeah, the, that's the limited dramatically mm-hmm. just just in terms of PPC, and then. And you have so many things now that go along with that. You know, I think that everybody thinks of pay-per-click now as just the bread and butter, like you have to have that, versus it used to be a, you know, a more persuasive conversation, like look at what this can do for you. It's the best LR, you know, ROI that you can find. And now it's like people understand that that's where they need to be, and they want to know what else and how that can be better and how to optimize that versus kind of convincing someone that it's going to work. Right. So right. On, on that topic of optimizing, um, what is a, for let's say a, a Molly made like uh, Ray or, uh, you know, Molly mm-hmm. made your standard man, Molly made franchise. 
What's a good PPC budget or pay-per-click budget for those listening who d- didn't make the connection of PPC as pay-per-click? So what's a good budget for Yeah, um, well, that's going to vary. A, you know, that's a, that's a very tricky question because it's going to vary a lot by market, right? Every market's going to be different. Um, and unfortunately, pay-per-click, you know, running an ad, a, a campaign on Google, um, if your budget's too small, then you're, it may not even spend, which seems backwards because uh, you might not even have enough daily budget to show up on the page. Um, and if you're too, you know, if it's, it's too much, uh, they actually have better things in place now that we're, won't actually spend. It used to just kind of frivolously spend more on a daily basis, and if you weren't watching it, you would pay too much per click and things of that nature, and it was really important, to, and it still is, to find that sweet spot. Uh, without doing, like, market research, it's hard to give somebody, you know, give you a budget. I mean... No, for an entire metro area, uh, Ray's very fortunate that he works with a large group of owners, you know, and they could spend upwards of, you know, $10,000 just on the pay-per-click side um, because they're in a, in a very large area, you know, covering the entire Chicagoland metroplex. But if you're looking at, you know, Texarkana, Arkansas, where the population's, I don't know, 50,000 people, you know, you might be fine spending $500 or $1,000. Um, you kind of have to think about it in terms of going backwards. So the average cost per click for whatever your industry is, right? And made service, we're seeing it around $5, $6. It's increasing over the years. Um, and if you want to have a good impression share, then uh, what, is, what does that look like? How many clicks a day do you need to be able to afford to bring in the number of leads that you want to get from the program. And then you can do math of, you know how well your site's converting, or if you don't, you're going to find out because Google lets you track all that. Um, but then other industries outside of made service, like personal injury attorney, for example, personal or, or let's say HVAC because that's in franchi- franchising as well. So air conditioning, repairman, Dallas, they're paying $60 a click. Wow. Yeah. And and I think all of what you just said is what's so confusing about it because, like you said, you can spend too little and you can spend too much. And, and, you know, people are are really, such as myself, scratching our heads as, what do you pay, you know? Ray, you didn't get all that and have it nailed down on... on I I got it all nailed down. Come on, on, dude. (laughs) They caught up here. So, for the for the beginners out there that aren't at Ray's level, and and I love Ray, he's one of the best people to know. How does one find? What does one use as a, to search for key, keywords? Because you talked about keywords and matching them up, um, and and knowing how much they cost. How do people find that? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, there's lots of ways to do that. You know, Google will help you develop a keyword list. But don't, don't use their automatic suggestions blindly. You want to really calm through that list because they'll broad match some things that you may not want in there. Um, you know, they may put cheap or affordable, and you might be a more quality service, and you don't want cheap in front of your keyword when somebody does a search, you know, for cheap made service. Like, if that's not you, that's not what you want to show up for. And, in fact, you probably want to make that negative so that you, it doesn't you – know, and when I say broad match, I'll explain that. Um, if you were to 
say, hey, Google, I want to show up when somebody um, searches for maid service, and I want to, I want to bid, right, because you're paying per click. I want to bid on the term maid service. Well, if you just put maid service in your keyword list as a broad match term, then if somebody types cheap maid service in your area, then your ad would would show up because it's broad matching to that. Mm-hmm. Can I explain that okay? Ray, you still yeah. with me? No, he's yeah, yeah. Yeah, so. yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's one of the ways you can get it is just from Google. They'll suggest it to you. Um, some other ways that I think are, are fun ways to find keywords, like if you're in a more niche industry, is you can look at some of your competitors' websites and do um, view page source and look at their HTML code, and they'll have what their their meta tags are, and you can look at the keywords there that are important to them. Let's say you're a new business, and you're like, what keyword should be important to me, right? Like some people go into it knowing these are the keywords that are important mm-hmm. to me, and some people don't. And you have to figure that out. And that's a pretty good start. And then you can put those into Google, and they'll say, okay, based on these keywords, here's some others that you might consider. I, I think one of the things that uh, is, co- is coming to mind now, when you said HTML sites and, and meta tags and all that, I, I happen to know what you're talking about. But I, I would imagine there are people out there who are saying, what is she? <laughs> you know, and, and, so... I, I think one of the things you? that this really brings to mind is, is the person, uh, and, and this show is, is tailored for a person who's either thinking about buying a franchise or, or has a franchise and, and you know, wants to improve things a little bit. So I think this really lends to the question of why do I want to hire an expert <laughs> like yourself? Yeah, so you, you know? can um, – you can you could probably set a campaign up. It's it's not that hard. But are you setting up an effective campaign? That's that's where <laughs> my experience and my knowledge um, pays for itself, right? Because if you just go up there and set up a campaign and you don't have any negative keywords and everything's broad matched, you're going to waste a lot of money really quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. So that's yep. where it comes. You know, it becomes beneficial and worthwhile and worth the investment to hire an expert who I guess would understand what I'm saying, uh, (laughs) you know, (laughs) and can help guide you, right? Uh, We have a lot Mm -hmm. of educational meetings um, with our clients to make sure that, you know, they they understand what we're doing for them and and try to explain kind of how it's working, right? Because I think that everybody benefits that way by having that understanding. Absolutely. Yep. That's, I think that's very important, and I know that uh, with our group that you you hold regular meetings uh, and inform us of how things are, are going, and, and things change dramatically, uh, not only because of what's going on in, in the world, but also what's going on with Google. They change their uh, a logarithm uh, a lot of times, and, and unfortunately, uh, because you're part of that, the Google group, I'm not sure what it's called exactly, but... Uh, you know, you, you're informed of what, thing, what things are coming down the road so we can uh, tweak uh, what we have out there. Right. As a Google partner, they have calls for Google partners to let you know this is what's coming down the pipe. These are things that you should be aware of. This is when this is going to roll out. Um, and those are things that, you know, 
make it a benefit for just a somebody that's running a franchise like you're already running a business to go and try to have like a marketing business on the side and learn all this stuff that's constantly changing um i think it's just too much for a local business owner like that's just that's, mm-hmm. that's a that's a bit too many hats because as a business owner i understand you know like finance is is not my strong suit when it comes to things so i'm gonna i'm gonna hire somebody to help me there right but i got mm-hmm. the marketing right. that I've, I've got that <laughs> mm-hmm. well, one so, of the things that uh, uh every everybody tells us as as owners is well you know you have to be in the digital world but don't drop your print mm-hmm. what are, what do you recommend um, yeah, I, I, uh, <laughs> I know that that is, is often told and, um, I, I, I just throw those away. So it's hard for me to say, yes, do that. Um, especially when, you know, I learned what some of the CPMs were that my CPM being cost per thousand impressions. So what the mm-hmm. what the impression cost per person was for some of my clients that were doing these mailers, and I thought, wow, and how many of those people are just throwing them right away? Or even if they're keeping them, like what does that number turn into then? And they can't even interact with these mailers versus if you take that mailer and turn it digital, you're looking at display ads, so banner ads that can go on different websites. And I'm not talking about those pesky pop-up ads. I'm just saying, like, you go to check the baseball score on MLB.com, and there's going to be an ad on the right-hand side of the page, like a little square. It's going to blend in. And you're looking at maybe $5 for every 1,000 impressions that that ad gets. And not only do they see the ad, but they can click on it and come to your website and learn more about you and call and fill out a form and all the information is right there. And it's not only right there for them, but then you can track their interaction with you much more precisely than you can if you're just sending out a mailer, which I think is, is super effective when you're trying to figure out what's working for me. Now, how can I spend my dollars most effectively? And you can do that on display. You can also do that on Facebook. And people are spending, mm-hmm. sadly, like an hour a day on Facebook. So you can get in front of them where they're <laughs> spending the most time. You know, nobody's standing in front of their mailbox and looking at their mail for an hour a day. No, you can get in no, front of them the, on Facebook. You're absolutely correct on that. But there is one small advantage to uh, print advertising, and, and this is the reason I still do it, and that is brand recognition. So, uh, mm-hmm. you know, when, when you see uh, one of our cars go by and you go to check your mail and you see a flyer in there with our logo on it and, and, then, you, and then you begin to think about the service and then you finally, uh, as you're on Facebook, see one of our ads and then click on it and that's when the action happens. I think it's, this is a personal opinion, I, I think it's needed to have some print ad out there because uh, the brand recognition is is accumulative in uh, uh, getting the, the the customer to click on your on your ad online. Yeah, that, and and Google's actually changed their attribution model and how you can track 
where your leads are coming from. It used to just be um, last source, meaning that somebody could essentially, like you said, see your mailer, which Google's not able to track that. They could see your mailers and they could see you mm-hmm. on Facebook. And then they might click on, they might Google you, and they might click on your pay-per-click ad but not do anything, and then mm-hmm. close it, and the next day go to your site organically because now they know your URL, and your organic you know, website would get the, get the input that and say, hey, this is the organic site, you know, drove this lead, and it would essentially get credit for it. Um, and you can change those attribution models now, which is really nice, and see the pattern of how people are looking for you online and spread out the credit as it's, as credit is due. So how, how do you know if you're getting in front of the right customer? Duh. They call you. Well. <laughs> no, I mean, I mean Seriously, statistically. If you're getting in front of the right people, they're calling you and, and yeah. Go, sorry, never mind, right? <laughs> well, if you, uh, how do you know if you're getting in front of the right customer? Well, yeah, I mean, if they're calling you. But um, yeah, yeah. If you know if you well, know. I mean, how, how can we tailor? How can we tailor di- digital? How can we tailor right. digital to get in front of the right customers? Uh, let me rephrase that, okay? So yeah. how can we tailor it? Tailor it to get in front of the right customer. How do we know the ads are going to the right people? Yeah. So um, with with pay per click, right? It's your keywords. Those are like your. They're like the bouncer at the club. Your keywords are, are saying, hey, you, you, you don't want to be here. Mixed with your text ad. Your text ad's letting people know whether or not this is the right place for them. And when you go past that onto, like, display or Facebook, you can set up so many specific target audiences with those mediums that if you know that families, you know, young adults with kids, young families are your target audience. Well, you can make those selections when you're targeting people on, on your display network, within Facebook. So if you're in Facebook, you can go in there and say, hey, I only want this ad to show to people between these ages that have kids that live in this specific area. Um, and then what I would recommend layering on top of that to make sure that your, your ads are really engaging um, is use that imagery, right? So if you know who you're targeting specifically with an ad, right, the young family, then put a young family in your creative. And then if you have a few segments of audiences that you also want to target, you know, young active males or, you know, retired active males, let's say, you can put a guy that looks like he could be retired, (laughs) you know, riding his bicycle or something like that in your creative, and then you can target men of a certain age that also enjoy cycling um, mm-hmm. when you're setting, mm-hmm. setting up your ads. And when you have those two things together, you know, when you're, when you're talking to your audience and showing them themselves, essentially, when they can see themselves in your ad, you're much more likely to, in, to have them engage with that ad. And, and of course, the, those statistics can be tracked. So we know you, you can tell if an ad is doing well or not. Absolutely. I mean, it's creepy how much stuff you can track these days. So, you know, you can track when they come to the site, what they do around the site, if they call you, if they fill out a form, um, after your ad is run, during your ad. But, you know, after everything, you can look at all the data of all the people that came in and saw your ad and 
you may be surprised. You may think, oh, like let's say you're you're not running a specific age group and you're doing a more generic ad. Um, maybe you need to do a little bit of audience discovery and figure out who your audience is if you're a newer franchise. Well, you can see the type of people that are engaging with your ad uh, through Facebook and say, oh, okay, well, this is the age group of people, and it's mostly women, and, you know, I believe it actually even shows you, like, typical household income and things of that nature, um, which is pretty cool. And then as your list grows, let's say you're newer, or even if you're older, if you've got an email base of clients, you can upload those into Facebook, and you can target those people specifically, or you can build a lookalike audience, and it will create an audience of people based on the ones that are already your clients. So like based on their online behavior so that you're basically multiplying. You're like, hey, these people are the people I want to target because they already did business with me. I want to target a bunch of people like them, that look like them, that have the same online behaviors. And then you can well, expand your audience that yeah, way. I'm glad you explained that because, uh, you know, when, when you said lookalike audience, I, it really kind of threw me, but now I think I understand. Go, go ahead and continue yeah. with what you were saying. But. You know, Facebook finds all your doppelgangers out there. <laughs> <laughs> they'll, they'll look just like you and they show them your ad. No, they look at, you know, <laughs> how that person, their purchasing behavior and things of that nature. And, and depending on uh, who your digital partner is, they could also help you find there's there's a lot of companies that will help you with that audience discovery and you know that partner with Experian and Axiom and Newstar and NCS and can get details of people all the way down to what they're putting in their shopping cart. Because if you've got a grocery card, like loyalty card, mm. and you buy anything with a barcode and then you swipe your loyalty card, it's more than likely tied to your email or your phone number and so is your credit card and your Facebook account and everything else. And so now when I get an email list from clients, I can match it up and say, hey, these are the type of wine that your, uh, that your clients are buying at the grocery store. These are the kind of car that they're driving, and this is how many rent versus own their house. It's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. and, and I think that's what uh, uh, some people fear, and they say, you know, I have uh, people – my age telling me, well, I'm not going to give out my email address because I said they already know it. So oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah, it's already out there. And as soon as you got, you opened up your computer and, and, and typed anything into it, they know everything. <laughs> so they mean whoever. What? Right. Creepy big brother. But this way you get ads that are more suited to you, right? I don't, especially mm. with more oh, yeah. digital, more people watching TV digitally versus just, you know, regular cable. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. So here's a different question for you. Since we've gotten all geeky there, Ray goes geek. That's okay. a, a new one. <laughs> rumor has it that you are a gymnast. So assuming the rumor uh-huh. is correct, what do you think about, what do you think about being a gymnast? Um, prepared you for what you do these days? Ooh, pretty <laughs> weird question, isn't it? Um, Only from Fred. That is a weird Someone's question. It. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, it's been some days since I, you know, hung up my leotard. Um, but both require a lot of focus. I'll tell you that. Because uh, 
just like when you're you learn a routine, you do the routine, you compete, and then it's like, okay, that routine's scratched, and you've got a new one. I feel like Google's kind of the same, and as soon as you – you can't ever get into a good, solid routine with them because they're always shaking things up to create a better user experience. And I think that that's also something that a lot of people look at when they see that, oh, Google's changed their algorithm again, or, oh, they got rid of all the ads on the right-hand side of the page, and, oh, they changed all the map listings from eight to three – and they're just in it for money, and while Google is making a great amount of money, and I'm a a proud stockholder, they're really doing it to create a better user experience. Like, they wouldn't be making that much money if people didn't keep going back. So their goal is to to really have a good UX, you know, user interface, where people go on there and they get the answers they want, and it's not super cluttered, and that's why they are winning in this space and have been for so long. I got a little off tro- topic from gymnastics there, but... Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I, I, I got to say that uh, on, one presentation, on one presentation, <laughs> Stephanie did cartwheels, <laughs> so... Yeah. Okay, so I mean that's, that's, Ray, that's a good way to get people's attention. My, yeah, I as, do a I do a front handspring as an exclamation point in the Molly made cheer. It's a, so do we have it on video? No extra charge. Actually I'm sure it is somewhere. <laughs> uh, see, so, I, I've got a bitch of clients grab video. <laughs> <laughs> So, Go ahead, Ray. Uh, Ask your next boring question. Okay. Uh, what is a CFE? Everybody has these letters after their name, and ah. a lot of people don't even know what they mean. You know, unless it's a, it says, you know, doctor or something like that. Right. All these letters don't mean much to a lot of people. So what is a CFE? A CFE is a certified franchise executive. So, um the International Franchise Association, IFA, there's another acronym for you, and if you are a new franchisee, you should see if your franchisor is a member of the IFA, and if they are not, you should encourage them to do so because it is a great community to be a part of. Um, the, in, the, national, or, yeah, the national conference that's held annually has a lot of educational sessions in it that you want your franchisor to go and attend so that they can um, help grow your brand. And because when franchising started way back when, there wasn't really a lot of teaching for franchisors or franchisees or suppliers within the franchise network, Um, Like, you couldn't go get a master's in franchising, essentially. The IFA created this program, and it typically takes people about two years um, to take all the classes. And you take classes in marketing, you take classes in finance, you take classes in franchise sales um, and franchise development. So you're taking classes across the board so that you can learn everything there is to know, essentially, well, that's a, that's a stretch, but, you know, a little bit of everything um, to be more well, well-rounded in the franchise space with your with your knowledge. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what do you think so, is, uh, uh, Go ahead, Fred. I was going to say, um, I, funny, I was talking to a group of uh, franchise uh, 
support personnel today. One of them is a, a CFE. Um, what do you think were the top two or three benefits you found for being a CFE? Good question. Um, that is a good I question. Yeah, I really enjoyed learning the terminology and processes and things of that nature outside of marketing. I've always been fascinated with business operations and that side of things. And so learning about um, the, the franchise agreement itself and um, you know, item 19 and what, they, what, what you can disclose. And, you know, I took political science classes in college for fun. Uh, those were like my electives. So there were a lot of classes where you learned about the law within franchising, and I really enjoyed those and found that just to be nice to have that knowledge during conversations with people where you know, you're not just always talking about marketing. You're talking about everything you're not? that has to do with franchising. <laughs> Everything that has to do with franchising, um, especially when you're at these conferences, you know, because there is so much going on right now, um, politically speaking, in terms of, of franchising. There always will be, you know, people making making and changing laws. Um, so I've, I enjoyed that a lot. And, I, and, and the people that I got to know taking the classes and things like that, because people in franchising, especially franchisors that have started, they created these businesses and from nothing, you know, that's just pretty amazing to me. And to multiply that concept, um, just really, really interesting and, and quality people to know. And I've been grateful to meet them in classes and at conferences. Sure, just just knowing the language is is, is helpful. I would imagine. Uh, so one of the things that uh, we need do in our industry is find a common ground with our clients and uh, sometimes that's difficult and uh, you know just being able to speak the same language and, and find common grounds so that you can you know um, actually present what you what you're there for so do you right. feel it's brought you more business mm, I know that um, I've actually had franchisors that have only taken proposals from companies that have CFEs on the team that would be managing their account. Um, so in that sense, yes, it, it's been positive. Um, I, but that's, that's, that's kind of where I'll leave that. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's okay. more, I've done it. I did it more for the knowledge. Sure. I one there's a CPA I was talking to earlier today. Actually, um, a past guest of ours on the show, the our Ron Silberstein. You remember him, Ray? He's still our yes. number one listened to show. How fifteen hundred people wanted to listen to a CPA? Oh wow! Um, <laughs> but he he swears by it and says he's gotten business because of it. So. Your viewpoint is um, appreciated. Thanks. See, it's not always the hard question, right? Yeah, right. What you got lined up now? I feel like you're picking something up over there because you're giggling. <laughs> and I need to apologize. I, I, my dogs are barking because I think my grandson is coming over. So, just ignore. <laughs> 
<laughs> so what do you um what do you see are the big trends in content engagement? So content that what trends in uh I guess formatting content so it pushes engagement on various social platforms. We'll go for yeah, a geeky uh, question. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I like geeky. it. I like the, I like the geeky question. You know, I mentioned kind of the the creepy cool data that you can pull on people, and I think that as people are becoming more and more used to companies having that data, whether they know it or not, right? They're becoming more and more accustomed to ads being engaging to their specific lifestyle and who and you know where they are in their stage of life and everything so you know making sure that your ads are targeting a niche because if they're just general you're not going to grab anyone's attention you you can't grab if you're trying to target everybody you're not going to target anyone um so mm-hmm. that's a huge yeah, thing that i think starting that. a marketing plan um, needs to, to recognize because they may think, oh, well, I just, you know, I really want anybody because I'm new and any, anything. Um, but, you know, focus on who you really want to bring in the door or, or pick up the phone and call you um, and make sure that you're targeting your ads towards them. And also, you know, we see four times the engagement with small gifts or, you know, 15 second or less videos. Um, it doesn't really catch people's eye anymore, the, the static ads like it used to. So, you know, when you have a little bit of movement, that's definitely going to help uh, catch somebody's eye. So you are definitely seeing the short videos are helping with engagement. Oh, absolutely. And it doesn't have to be anything crazy. So I think that sometimes people get scared away from video because they're like, oh, I don't have the budget for video. Um, you know, I can't go – I don't have the budget to do it. I don't have the camera if I wanted to do it myself. And there are programs online where you can make, um, even if it's just slides, you know, and and text and moving text, it doesn't have to be super fancy. It doesn't even have to have humans in it necessarily. I mean, you could have a photo and then have the photo slide off and have text come up. But just having movement within the ad will help multiply the engagement that that ad's going to receive. I can relate to that being on Facebook. Go ahead. I was going to say, so we should get like slide shots of Ray cleaning toilets is what I'm hearing. There you go. There you go. Not going to happen. No, I think think that would scare people away. I think it's funny, but what do I know? So don't worry, folks. Let's put it this way. You're more likely to catch me doing a video of playing toilets than we are of uh, He's evolved beyond that. Right. Yeah. Except at home. He probably still has to do it at home. So where do you spend most of your time? What social media platform do you spend most of your time on? Facebook. That's the question, too. Yeah, I mean, that's where most people are spending most of their time, so that's where I spend most of my time to target them. Um, And I know that, you know, with younger generations, they've moved to to different avenues is what everybody's saying, but um, majority of people are still logging on to Facebook on a regular basis. We're still seeing great engagement with ads there, and you can track everything. 
And Facebook now even feeds ads to Instagram, um, and you can track through Instagram as well. So it's a great, great medium. If you're only going to do one social media, that's definitely the one that I would recommend starting with. Mm. And probably uh, target audience-wise, you know, for my industry, that would probably be the best. Yeah, absolutely, because you can really target people by lifestyle there. You know, some companies Mm -hmm. want to target maybe a a specific title um, or industry of people, and you can do that on LinkedIn. Uh, The CPM, which is the cost per thousand impressions, is generally, well, I mean, it varies by industry, right? But it's going to be at least twice as much on LinkedIn as it is on Facebook. That's just kind of how how I've seen that at least. Um, so you have to make sure that you're getting that return if that is where you're going to go spend dollars on on a different avenue. Um, and they'll allow you to, to track conversions and things as well. So that's really important whenever you're setting up a campaign is making sure that you've got all the conversion tracking set up. It's free, so why not take advantage of it and make sure that you know, you're utilizing your dollars in the best place. Mm-hmm. So... Then a couple, uh, some other thought questions come to mind. Um, I know that depending on who you listen to, and while I agree with you, Facebook is still the the king of the jungle um, mm-hmm. for hitting what I call the millennial plus, which is the let's say thirty sub thirty five uh, age group. Do you still think Facebook's the best place to be, or is there another platform you like? Well, um, I like to be labeled as a millennial, but uh, age-wise, I do fall into, I do fall slightly under the 35 mark, and I'll say most of my time is still spent on Facebook and Instagram. Um, You know, I know a lot of people are on Snapchat. A lot of my friends are on Snapchat. Um, I I think... And you can create filters, and you can do a lot of fun stuff with that. But in terms of maybe promoting events and things of that nature, I don't think that it's the best targeting for, you know, a lot of franchises are in the home service business, right? Or um, perhaps they are a restaurant. Um, Maybe the restaurants would benefit more of it. But for home services, I think it's really – ideal targeting on Facebook and Instagram where you can target more of a lifestyle and you can use those filters to get in front of who you want to get in front of. So no arguments. You actually, you brought up a, a, in a sense, a question I've been asking people for the last couple of years, and that's Snapchat. Uh, Can Mm -hmm. Snapchat be used for business-to-business marketing? (laughs) Business-to-business? Yeah. Um... I know we're at, that's kind of some franchises are business to business, and 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 in yeah. some ways this is definitely out of our discussion to, time. But you brought up Instagram, so that's this has always been my ongoing question of how can you use Instagram to do business to business marketing? Well, the thing with business to business marketing, and this is what I I try to remind my clients is. Even if it's a business, there's a person behind that business, right? So you just want to make sure that you're targeting the right person in that business. Um, And because you can go in there and and set up, okay, I want to target people within this industry or I want to target people with this title and things of that nature, 
then you're able to get in front of essentially another business that you would want to get in front of. I mean, if if you are looking for commercial-made service, right, if you want to go target buildings, you know that you've got a property manager or facilities manager is probably who you're going to want to target. So now you have a person. You just have to turn that business into a person, and that makes the whole B2B marketing side of things a lot easier. If you're a restoration mm-hmm. company, you, know, you probably want to get in front of insurance agents and real estate agents and property managers. And so now you've turned getting in front of all these other businesses into this is the type of person I want to get into. And when you look at it that way, it really can help you make a better marketing strategy. Okay. Stephanie, um, before we run out of time, we've talked a lot, uh, a lot about some very, I consider complicated things. And if someone has a question for you, how is the best way to get a hold of you? Um, probably my email would be the easiest. It's skyle, S-K-Y-L-E, at the skylarkagency.com. Okay. So that's, yep. And that's my website, theskylarkagency.com, and my information's all on there as well, phone and, and email. And So um, we've covered Facebook, we've covered Instagram, we've covered Snapchat. Um, we haven't talked Twitter. You don't seem to be a Twitter fan. Am I right? <laughs> um, <laughs> I didn't <laughs> Twitter fan. I'm, there's nothing wrong with it. I think it's sometimes a good way to get some fast information or to, to let people know if you're angry. You know? That seems to be how it's, <laughs> it's widely known these days is when when someone's angry, they let you know through the Twitter. Um, we actually, in the Chicagoland area, Ray, how, this was years ago, uh, we did a, a, a tweet blast as a beta, and we were, it was like certain times of day that we thought it was going to be active, and, and we would tweet something about um, Molly Made Chicago Land and Made Service, and um, obviously it didn't, it was not wildly successful because I'm not remembering a whole lot of details about it. Um, mm. I don't remember any details about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It was it was a free beta that we did for you guys, and that was I didn't. Mm. It was just like, hey, we're gonna test this, and we're like, all right, we're not gonna do that anymore. <laughs> so then the so last one, you know, yeah. Well, last last week's guest, the franchise king, was it was actually uh, somebody we we connected to with on Twitter. So that was a it's doable, folks. Um, well, there you so go. It, we got less than ninety seconds left. Um, how about LinkedIn? What are your What are your thoughts on LinkedIn? I like I like LinkedIn for becoming the expert in your field, right? So if you are targeting, if like for B two B, you know, if, and and you want to be known in your industry as the expert, that's a great place to go post some content that other people can read um, and engage with, and then they'll get to know your brand. 
Um, and it's, I don't think it's going to be the best place for you to – it's not Google where, where it's pull advertising. You're still pushing your information to people, but it gives you a great platform to really educate people and become the experts because you can you know, have people download white papers and things of that nature within LinkedIn, and you can target specific titles and specific companies and how big the companies are um, and obviously where they're located as well. Awesome. So Ray, any you got ten yes. seconds to say something? Well, I want to I want to thank Stephanie for being with us today. I I think uh, anybody who's thinking of a franchise uh, has got their head filled with a lot of information, and there's a lot to think about uh, because marketing today is certainly not the phone book that you use to hold the door open. <laughs> you know, so and what's that? It's it's Yes, it's drastically changed. And, again, thank you so much for being with us, Stephanie. My pleasure. Thank you guys for having me. Next week, folks, uh, we'll be back again. Same pillar time, same pillar station.